RadioInfluence.com. What's up, college football fans? This is Rush the Field with Scott Seidenberg and Chris Landry, your go-to source for college football conversation and news. I'm Scott Seidenberg alongside veteran coach and scout Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. And Chris, the college football season is here. I couldn't be more excited for this year to start. I I am as well, and it's great to be with you. And uh, boy, it's going to be great to visit with all the great college football fans Every week, all year round, folks, as Scott said, we're going to be your uh, your source uh, for uh, college football information. You know, I was thinking about, you know, week zero this week. I, it, it, I really would make more sense if a lot of these programs would maybe see about getting involved in this week zero. And I'm talking about the group of five schools. Yeah, we've got Wyoming, New Mexico State, Hawaii, Colorado State, but Rice is playing Prairie View in a, in a local game. But, you know, if if I were a group of five school, I would try to get into that first week uh, and play a game. It would give them center stage because you know that the best, you know, ratings for a Mountain West game is going to be this weekend exactly. when you see Hawaii, Colorado <laughs> State. So take advantage of it, you know, because if you played uh, if Hawaii and Colorado State played uh, in the first week, they would get completely lost in the shuffle. So I, I think it's great, but I think we can make week zero a little better, quite frankly. How's that? Yeah, the first time I ever heard of the Kibbe Dome was when I was watching an Idaho football game the first <laughs> week of the season because it was the only game on television. <laughs> no, that's right. And uh, that, that, that Kibbe Dome, I've got a good friend of mine that uh, I play golf with regularly. I played uh, at, at Idaho. is actually from Louisiana. And um, and, and the, the Kibbe Dome comes in handy around November. <laughs> oh, 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 it does. The little airplane hangar they have there in Idaho. Well, Chris, the biggest story in college football, obviously surrounding the Ohio State Buckeyes and their head football coach, Urban Meyer. Now, I know you've been locked into this situation. You've spoken to several Ohio State assistant coaches. What's the latest you're hearing on when we will find out the results of this investigation? Well, they, they're, you know, certainly speaking with them in the past about the whole Zach Smith situation. They, they're like everybody else are waiting to see what the committee and the board, the 19 member board of Ohio state will decide. Um, as folks are listening to this podcast is depending on when you listen to it, we may have the definitive decision. They, the board is meeting 9am local time, Wednesday morning, um, the 22nd of August. So, uh, I would suspect that somewhat, Soon after that, I don't know if it's going to be that day or the day after we're going to get a decision this week that will be announced and they will go through the process of how they went through the, how the investigation took place, uh, what the committee decided, but it's pretty clear what I'm hearing out of Columbus is that they have no way or no reason to fire urban Meyer with cause. Mm. So they're not, he is going to survive. He is going to coach. I think the only issue that I've been uh, hearing about is whether he's going to be suspended with time served, which is what he's basically told them. That so he's basically I've, saying, I've been away from the team for two weeks. Uh, this correct. is my suspension. Correct. And I, I think that they're inclined to do that. Um, there is some you know, discussion about the possibility, and you never know what certain board members and how they will go about the decide. And the president 
Here's what we don't know is we don't know who has the final say. I'm going to assume it's the president. Yeah. He's going to take the advisement of the board, but they're his bosses. So I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see if you're curious, uh, if they do go with a two-game suspension, which, again, Urban is fighting, that's against Oregon State and Rutgers, he would be available for the September 15th game against uh, TCU at Arlington. So, uh, listen, I'm not in the prediction of what board members are going to decide, but certainly the tea leaves are reading that Urban Meyer is going to be available. And if I were a betting man, I believe he'd be on the practice field uh, by the end of the week. You, you I, I think that's how it's going to play out. And yeah. I think what they're going to say is, look, he followed the proper protocol. I'm very curious to see how he handles this and how the administration handles what has become a very, very ugly uh, PR situation for them. Oh, there's no doubt. The thing that, that troubles me is by keeping Urban Meyer, I, I get that you're putting everything behind you and you're saying that he did what he did and he followed the protocols and whatever. But more more stuff keeps coming out, Chris, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't more information keep leaking out, whether it's the, the reports of, uh, Zach Smith's uh, affair with a, a subordinate at Ohio State or the pictures that he took at the White House or in the facility or the things that he had sent to the facility. Mm. What if more information comes out here and now the school is in a situation where they kept Urban Meyer and then more information comes out. Now it's not just Urban Meyer losing his job. It's the athletic director. It's possibly the president. A lot of people could take the fall here if more news comes to light. I think that's true. Um, now, let me say this, that the whole situation about the, uh, well, let's call it an affair with yeah. uh, the member uh, of the staff and the uh, interesting uh, items that were delivered to the Woody Hayes complex. Uh, boy, is he turning over in his grave right now. <laughs> um, that was uncovered. That came out in the media. That was uncovered in the investigation by the by the, by the investigative committee. So. That's kind of leaked out to the media, but that was uncovered. I, I think, we hope, that they've been very thorough in the process. I, I think that what they're going to say is they're not going to go into the details uh, when asked about that, but they're going to say we've done a thorough investigation, and they're going to put that behind them. So if something comes up about Zach Smith, then you know I think we've uncovered that, and we've dealt with that, and we've moved on. Now, I think if something else comes out here's where the problem is scott if something else comes out not related to this Mm -hmm. but something else that happened then it becomes a bigger issue because right now the way i think that they're going to couch this is that you know uh, urban wasn't involved in this and that he yeah i don't know i'm very curious to see how much they say about what did he know and when did he know it But the reality is, I'm going to cut to the chase here. Urban Meyer enabled someone that he should have not enabled. People on his coaching staff did not like Zach Smith. They did not think he was a great recruiter, and he was not a very good coach in the eyes of assistants. But they felt like he had, some have told me that, uh, well, first of all, we know the background with with Earl Bruce and yeah. his, and his grandson. But some have told there. me there some have told there. me that that Zach, you know, maybe knew Urban really well and yeah. perhaps knew things. Mm-hmm. And That's so what I'm now, you know, now again, that'll be couched. Listen, if you follow politics, you know how <laughs> this will work. This is going to be the college football version of it. They're going to say, well, 
They're going to they've separated themselves from Zach that he's not going to be part of the program. And they're going to, if something else comes out related to him, they're going to basically say, you know, we've dealt with that. We're aware of a lot of things. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. We've moved on and essentially basically say we've, we've washed our hands with that crackpot mm-hmm. and we're going to move on. And so I think that's how it's going to be played out. But if there are other things that come out of the closet that, you know, that's only going to make her, but totally unrelated to this, that could make him look, listen, it's, he's got a reputation that's not been really good throughout his career. He's been cleaner at Ohio state than he has been at Florida. The recent events would indicate, well, maybe he hadn't been that much cleaner. Nope. That is going to follow him and that is going to affect him. But we've seen this just like in a lot of cases, they've kind of rallied around him. The Buckeye fans have, and you know, everybody else is looking at it uh, appalled. And if you flip the script, you know, the fans that the probably Buckeye fans, if this were happening to the Michigan coach, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be laughing and pointing their fingers. And then the Michigan folks who are looking at it and saying, Oh, that's a, a awful would be back in their coach. That's just kind of the way it is. Let's just call it like it is. Urban Meyer is very successful. When Woody Hayes was pushed out the door, there were some that thought he needed to go uh, just that he had lost. He was older and the program wasn't mm-hmm. as good. Some tried to save Jim Trestle, but some were inclined to say, let's go in a different direction. Uh, anyway, Urban Meyer, clearly they've wanted to keep him and they've not been able to find anything that they can fire him with cause. And they're not going to eat 38 to $40 million, nope. pure and simple. Well, Let's just say this. If this was DJ Durkin, who I'm sure we're going to talk about in a second, and, and if, if, if DJ Durkin, a DJ Durkin type of coach, was at Ohio State with the same situation, he'd be gone. I we agree. know that, yes. and that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and we'll get to Durkin in just a second. But final thing on Ohio State, they're going to make all of the results of this investigation public. They're going to release this. So we're going to know exactly what they found out. They're going to release Correct. everything. So there's going to be no questions. I mean, we might be sitting here saying, what did they find out? What didn't they find out? They're going to tell us. And I think that that's really good for the public perception of this entire thing, that they're being very transparent here. Well, and, and let's make sure that, you know, folks understand that, boy, that's uh, before they think, oh, man, that that's nice that they did that. That's Ohio law, that they have to do it. So they're not. I think if they could hide some of that, they probably would. They can't. In fact, uh, part of the meeting that they have at 9 a.m., I'm not sure exactly how long, but they have to open that to the public for a for a certain time frame. And I, I don't know what the Ohio law says. So it may be 15 minutes, maybe an hour. Mm-hmm. And, and, and certainly that's open. So I think, you know, media and people can – be there or rally, whatever is going to happen. Then they go in chambers and then, then that part is private. So you're correct. We're going to know, uh, it's going to be a report. Uh, obviously they've spent a lot of time on it. So they're going to, um, divulge by law what, uh, what happened in this case, state, state university, state law protocol has to be followed. Yeah. Makes sense. Let's talk about DJ Durkin, uh, in wake of the tragedy that occurred at Maryland, which uh, resulted in the death of an offensive lineman, Jordan McNair, an absolutely terrible story. And it's just a shame, Chris, because we hear this all too often in sports, and it's not just in college football, but it happens at the high school level, the youth level, and the pro level. It's just something that I think 
people need to be aware of. Like this, this kind of stuff does happen. But when you read the reports about the, the allegations as to what's been going on, whether or not Coach Durkin is culpable of any wrongdoing in this matter, I, I just don't see any way in which he keeps his position right now. He's not Urban Meyer. He's DJ Durkin. And Maryland, going through this entire process, he's on the administrative leave just like Urban Meyer is. I think there's no way for him to return to this position. I agree with you. Um, I don't think, and, and let's just cut right to the chase. You just said it. Uh, and I think DJ's done a pretty good job. And by the way, and this is really not important, so let me just get it out of the way. They've got a pretty good team coming in this year, and I don't know how it's going to affect them. Really, that's not important. What's important is that, tragically, we lost a young man, and clearly this was due to negligence on staff members there. Yes. And why we can debate as to how much of it was the culture versus just negligence, I, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard, but here's where I think this is different. You mentioned it. DJ's not Urban Meyer. They're, they're, they're going to clean house. This is going to be a pad PR mess for them. And much like when they put Ryan Day in charge at Ohio State, Matt Canada is new to Maryland staff. So anybody that's been associated with anything that's going on at Maryland from a PR standpoint is just not going to – it's not going to fit there. They're, they had um, an open meeting this past Sunday in College Park where family members of the players came in and asked questions. And they're doing some of the stuff just a little bit nauseating. They've had kind of their little PR mix where they show cutaways to Gatorade and mm. tents. Like, like we're doing stuff now that I, I don't know. I mean, they're really almost trying too hard to say, oh, yeah, we're doing things right and players first and all that. Bottom line, they failed. And I think it's going to be very difficult for them to go forward um, with. And, and a lot of the players have said the culture wasn't as bad. The bottom line is it looks bad, and I think that they're going to have to kind of make a clean cut of it. And because, again, DJ doesn't have the record of an Urban Meyer, I don't think he's going to survive either. And you know what the difference is here, too, is that whereas everyone in the Ohio State community has been backing Urban Meyer, there is a split here amongst the supporters Mm -hmm. of this football team in Maryland, whether it's boosters, whether it's administrators, whether it's fans, parents, players. There's a divide here, and I think the only way to salvage this situation is to cut ties with DJ Durkin because if you do bring him back, you run the risk of alienating a certain portion of that population, and then the season might be lost because there's so much infighting between boosters, administrators, and and whatnot surrounding this football program. Well, I think that's true. I think there are split, and we're not talking about a rabid fan base. We're not talking about the up, you know, rising of a let's call it what it is, a big-time college football program in Maryland is not that. And you're right, the ones that do care about that program are half and half on whether they should keep him or not. I think that they will um, they will move on. It'll be interesting to see what involvement they go in a new direction at Kevin Plank, the Under Armour CEO, who's mm-hmm. a Maryland guy yep. and has kind of wanted to really make them the organ of the East Coast. Uh, East Coast. Um, we'll see what they do and where they want to go. But but I think if you look at it, um, the president of that university coming out, and I, apparently he didn't talk to their lawyers because it was no lawyer speak. We are responsible legally, morally, ethically. I don't think you can do that 
and then turn around and say, but you know, DJ, you know, I don't, I don't know what DJ did if he stepped in the way of some of the moves, but, but trainers at the athletic department, I think there's going to be major shakeup there. Uh, that's going to be uh, a, a lot different, and we're going to see new leadership there. Now, speaking of a culture involving a head football coach, there's an interesting situation going on at Texas A&M where a former player is trying to be eligible immediately after transferring. And in order to do that, there's a new rule in college football where if he can allege some sort of wrongdoing or uh, an unhealthy situation that caused him to leave that school, then the NCAA would rule in his favor. And so that's exactly what he's doing. This player is accusing Jimbo Fisher and the coaching staff of verbal abuse, of breaking NCAA rules involving practice hours, as well as recruiting violations. Yeah, Santino uh, Martial is is the kid you're referring to. And, and I don't know at this point, I don't, uh, this is much ado about nothing at this point, uh, unless it develops some legs. It's, this speaks of a player, just as you've mentioned, that's maybe trying to get eligible right away. Um, let me let me say this, and, and I don't know what happened. So if this turns out to be legitimate criticism and other prayer, players corroborate it, then there could be legs to it. But, but this is what it sounds like to me. Typical player that is not happy with the new coach because he hasn't really fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me also add this, right or wrong, the feeling at Texas A&M under Kevin Sumlin, and I like Kevin, is that it was a little bit more of a country club atmosphere. Loud music at practice, a lot of, you know, Jimbo Fisher's come in and laid the law down. How they practice, how they meet, attention to details. Uh, a lot of players don't like it. This guy wants to transfer and wants to be eligible immediately. And listen, if he can prove that, yeah, they, they gave money to recruits and that you know, demeaning and vulgar language, uh, you bet you mishandling the echo injury. You better prove all that. It's one thing to say it. It's a news blurb, but until it has some legs, uh, it's just not much there. So I, I think this is on a completely different level and I don't, I don't really sense any trouble for Jimbo or A&M. Uh, and then I'll be corrected if there's more to it, but to this point there's much ado about nothing. Well, the college football season will begin this week. Scott Seidenberg here with Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. It's Rush the Field, a college football podcast for you, the college football fans. And Chris, the top 25 came out, the AP preseason poll for the third season in a row. The Alabama Crimson Tide are your number one team in the nation. And you know what? They became just the second team ever, Chris to be the number one team in the preseason AP poll three consecutive seasons. I know there's some people that felt that maybe Clemson would get the nod at number one, but after what you saw last year from Nick Saban's squad, throw in the fact that you got Tua coming back and he might be the starting quarterback this year, I don't think that there was any way I could have not had Alabama as the number one team in the nation. Well, and, you know, it's interesting. We can debate on the importance of these preseason polls. One, uh, the AP has no say-so in anything in terms of rankings that's not used by the committee or anything, which we'll get into that once we play games and we get into October and we've got a sample size. But here's what it does do. And in, in, in false or, you know, real, uh, you know, subliminal, there's a belief that these these teams are really good, and these teams maybe are kind of good, and these teams are off the radar. And, you know, we've seen teams now for consecutive years. We've seen 
several teams that have not been in the top 10, not even ranked, that get into the playoff race. So it's not the death nail for, you know, who can make it or who can't. It's wide open to everyone. But there's going to be a belief. Uh, last year, Florida State opened up three in this yes. very poll. Um, well, know, and the injury led see? to that, obviously. I, well, uh, yeah, it led it to did. them downfall. It did. A big injury contributed to that, but then they get beat by Alabama. The injuries that you're referring to, they just fall apart. All of a sudden, they're not very good. Now, that's an extreme example, but the reality is, I do think if you're looking at it, you're thinking, wait a minute, certain teams get the benefit of the doubt based upon past, mm -hmm. and some don't. Um, and, and I think that does have an effect early. If you beat somebody, um, for example, Miami and LSU play, I, I think both of these teams at their relative spots, Miami's really overrated and LSU's overrated being ranked. But, you know, there's going to be a belief if LSU beats Miami, then that's going to be a big boost for them because the belief is that Miami's really good. Well, I don't know if Miami's all that good. I don't know if they're not 18 instead of eight. You know, that that's debatable. So there's a little bit of a perception of you can get a boost or a knock against you based upon how these teams are ranked early. But I listen, you play the games and by season's end, you can move up. But I agree with you that Alabama makes it when it really doesn't matter whether uh, if you ask me which team is a little bit better right now on paper, it's probably Clemson. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by what does it really matter yeah, when exactly. you, you got to play your way in, play your way out? I do think this is interesting, though. There's no question, and I respect what Wisconsin has done. Ohio State is still the team to beat personnel-wise for the Big Ten. But I think the distractions of, you know, whether Urban Meyer is going to be there or not, it certainly affected how they looked at the Big Ten when they put Wisconsin ahead of Ohio State uh, being four and five. So and also, I, you look at Wisconsin's schedule, they have to play in Ann Arbor and in Happy Valley. So, right, uh, and, and, but to me, I wonder, too, that, that's the other thing. I'm glad you brought that up because how do people vote? Are you voting the teams that you think are the best or you're projecting how their record's going to be? Because that's two different things. Yeah, I think they're just voting on who's well, the best right now, well, not what it's going I, to be. I, I don't know, Scott, because yeah. I think a lot of guys just say, well, I like this team because look at their schedule. It's going to be favorable, and they can, Wisconsin can avoid this team and that team. Well, that that's, that's just projecting what the record's going to be. And mm -hmm. to me, how good it can be or how good it is now from a roster standpoint and what type of team and chemistry and coaching, sometimes it's different. In other words, I, I think that you look at a team as how good they are and with you going with the idea of this team is better, um, it, it doesn't necessarily, if, if you based their six, potential success off of a weaker schedule, well, what are you saying? You, you're really not saying one's better. You're just projecting a better record, uh, and that to me are two different things. Well, if you are looking at the college football playoff in previous seasons, in case you are curious, last year, uh, the four teams in their preseason ranks was 1, 5, 7, 15. 2016 was 1, 2, 6, and 14. 2015, 3, 5, 12, and 19. And the first year in 2014, it was 1, 2, 3, 5. So odds are, because every single year, at least one top five preseason team is in the college football playoff. Some years you had two. And in one year, we had four top five teams 
that made it into the college football playoff. So based off that, Chris, looking at the top five, pick, give me the one team that is going to be in the college football playoff. Well, here's the thing, Scott. We, we can talk about parity all we want. Uh, in, in terms of parity teams that are maybe good, that are competitive, that are top 25 caliber, they're, they're plentiful. There's about 45 to 50 teams that are top 25 caliber. There are very few teams that could win the national title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alabama, Georgia out of the SEC, Clemson. Uh, you throw in Ohio State potentially uh, with their mess. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, I could see Wisconsin maybe with their schedule getting into the playoffs. I don't see them as capable of winning a national title. I don't see a Pac-12 or a Big 12 team capable of winning. Nope. Um, so, listen, there, there's not many. I think that it's pretty clear they're going to see an SEC champion, uh, m- you know, maybe a possibility of, listen, I don't know if Alabama and Georgia are going to be able to make it a- in again. That'll mm-hmm. be very controversial, but it, there could be two of the four best teams in the country. I think they are talent-wise. I think Clemson is, and I think there is a spot that's open. I would say that Ohio State fits the best in terms of personnel. So if you ask me who's most likely, I think Ohio State wins the Big Ten. I think Clemson wins the ACC. I think Alabama or Georgia wins the uh, the SEC, and I think the the there's a good possibility that the loser is only going to have one loss. That's your four best teams. Those teams can win a national title. I, I think the Washingtons, the Oklahomas, um, teams like that are not really capable. They're capable of making the playoffs, yeah, but not capable of winning two games against an Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, those type of teams. That's kind of how I see it right now. That could change based upon injuries, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. I think a team like Auburn is very good, but they've got a more difficult schedule because they have to play Alabama and Georgia. And so that's an example of a team that if I were to rank them, I would definitely have them in the top five or six. But their record, because of the difficulty of their schedule, is likely going to put them a little bit further, which, again, where I see where I would put Auburn a little bit higher. Now I recognize that if things go the way I think they're going to go during the season and it's all projection, then they won't be as high as I would have them now. Um, So I think, listen, I think there's a spot for a team, maybe a couple to get in. And, you know, I think it's more difficult today because I think that it's easier to get into the playoffs because we have four teams, but I think it's more difficult today for a a good team, a Wisconsin, a yeah. Washington, mm-hmm. a Michigan State. I would agree. You know what I'm talking It's, it's going to be tough because before, if you got into a BCS game, all you got to do is win one game. Yeah. You win one game, you're the national champion. Now you got to beat two teams of mm-hmm. that ilk, and I think that really separates. We have a, 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 a real big-time class system in college football, uh, unlike any other sport. There's just a few teams that can win the national title. Let's stick with the number one team in the nation. How close is Nick Saban to naming a starting quarterback? I don't know that he's close to naming it. I think it's definitely going to be to a, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, and, and here's do you think he'll go? Do you think he'll go, Chris, with a two quarterback system for the no, first couple of no. games? No, I think that Jalen will play some because I think with their schedule, <laughs> they'll blow people out. <laughs> they'll beat people and he'll play. Yeah. But I got to tell you, here's maybe the, the thing that hasn't been talked about in this whole process. It's not about Tua, you know, came in in the second half and, and won the team. That's, 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 the, that's the told story. The untold story is Jalen Hurts has regressed. Mm. He has lost his confidence. 
this whole situation obviously has affected him. Uh, and in the spring, Tua was injured. And Jalen Hurts, not only did he not get better, he got worse. He got worse throwing the football. He had every chance to win that job, and he didn't. And that is what I think has kind of separated this. And Tua is clearly the guy. In fact, the feeling among the coaching staff is Mac Jones is probably the best fit is the number two. Mm, and that Jalen wow. is more of a, I still think Jalen will hold on and get into some playing time. But um, listen, they've got good quarterbacks. But I don't, other than being able to make some plays with his feet and being a leader and protecting the football, Listen, I'm not giving up on Jalen because I think if Tua doesn't protect the football well, they may have to go to him. Yeah. They could win every game on their schedule in the regular season with the possible exception of Auburn with any one of three quarterbacks that they have. But it's the games that maybe against Auburn at the end of the year, potentially Georgia in the SEC championship and in the playoffs, they are likely going to need, or it may be depending on how they get seated in the playoffs, one, if not two games, they're going to need somebody that can throw the football better. So I think it's Tua. The real key is how do they deal with the backup spot if Tua gets injured? Do they get Jalen ready? Um, Jalen is going to leave at the end of this year, yeah, meaning the season, December. Uh, how is that going to play out? How ready is going to be? Or is he going to lose confidence? I mean, uh, do they go to Mac Jones? I, I think there's a story there, particularly – if Tua gets injured, but I do think Jalen will have a chance to play, but I think the, that ship has sailed. I don't think they want to say it yet, but I think that's the way it's going to play out. And you know, it's crazy. And, and maybe the wise guys know something because the Las Vegas Superbook, they have put out their updated Heisman trophy odds and the favorite to win the Heisman trophy without a start to his name to a tongue of Iloa. He is the favorite over <laughs> Bryce love right now to win the Heisman. He hasn't even been named the starting quarterback, so maybe they know something, or they're just, or they're doing what we're doing, Chris. They're reading into it and they're saying he's the best one, he's the most talented one, he's going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama. Well, you and I have talked about this in terms of the betting public. R remember that the, the, they call them the wise guys in Vegas. They don't <laughs> predict what's going to happen in a game or predict who's going to win the Heisman. What they do is they predict what the betting public Correct. is going to do. So, like, one of the reasons, like, they do research. There are more Alabama fans that bet college football than any other of the, the second and third most bet teams combined don't equal what Alabama fans. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a, why is Michigan Correct. such a favorite to win the national championship when they're not a national championship caliber program? It's because of all the Michigan fans that Correct. are betting on them. Correct. So, that, that determines the odds. There's a lot of people that are just excited about Tua because they're Alabama fans and they believe it. That's great. If you look at it, listen, by season's end, he might earn his way into that. Mm -hmm. Right now, going into the season, he's not even the best quarterback in the state because Jared, <laughs> Jared Stidham, Stidham yep. <laughs> is, is, is done more and Drew Locke in, in, the, in Missouri has done more. Um, I, you know, I think by the season's end, Tua may definitely earn that, you know, moniker of being a Heisman candidate, but uh, I think there's there's a number of guys that would fit into that category maybe ahead of him. But but listen, if he plays like he did in the second half, uh, you can certainly see him getting into the mix. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of Michigan, 
you know, they named the starting quarterback, and I, I didn't think that this was even much of a debate, but Shea Patterson is going to be the starting quarterback at Michigan. When he transferred over, Chris, he was the most talented guy already on the roster before he stepped foot in the facility. So how was he not going to be Harbaugh's starting quarterback? Well, here's the thing about it. He has the most arm talent. But here's what I'm curious. I'm not surprised that they made the decision because you don't accept him as a transfer if you don't plan to modify what he does. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that is different. And people just, you know, maybe don't see this. But as a coach, I look at it. Shea Patterson is a spread quarterback. Yes. Not a guy that works well under center. So what are they going to do offensively? What's Jim and his staff going to do offensively to modify what they do to fit Shea? Because quite frankly, I, I think Brandon Peters is a good quarterback. Now, I think that Shea Patterson's a better passer, but but they've listen, they, they've got a plan over there. I'm just excited to watch the plan. Because if you're talking about running the Michigan offense that Jim Harbaugh likes to run, that's more of Brandon Peters' style. Whereas if you're talking about modifying what you're doing and letting Shea throw the football around, then, uh, you know, uh, the spread set, that's what Shea does. So how are they going to morph that into something that's going to work is going to be real interesting. And they better get it figured out early at Notre Dame because that's going to say a lot. And I actually think they've got a couple of really good second-year receivers in uh, Torrey Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones that are very underrated, that I don't think people realize how good they are. And I think the quarterback play has kind of maybe muffled a little bit of their um, what's going to happen this year. So I'm excited. I agree with you. I expected Shea to get the job. But I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out because Jim's going to have to modify things. Do you think that Jim's on the hot seat? Do you think that Harbaugh has to win this year? In, in order to, to maintain his status, or does he just have one of those passes? Well, maintain his status. I think his status, his reputation has taken a hit, no doubt about it. Um, he doesn't have to win to keep his job for 2019. He, he comes back in 2019 unless he wants to leave and pursue something else. Yeah. But, but he's back. Here's, you know, people have asked me, because I got to tell you, this was his home run of hire slash fit is anything. I mean, you know, Nick Saban was a home run hire by Alabama, but, you know, he they had to adjust to him and his ways. Urban Meyer is an Ohio boy, a, a, a great fit. Jim Harbaugh being a Michigan guy, what yep. he did at San Diego, University of San Diego, what he did at Stanford, what he did in the NFL, you, you talk about a hand-in-glove fit. It's, it's not a mystery to me, but it is – one of the real disappointments that at this stage in his fourth year, three years there, he hasn't done a very good job. I mean, I'm just going to call it like it is. It hasn't done a very good job. And here's the difference. He hired very well at Stanford. It, it worked very well. And he just hasn't been able to hire very well on the offensive side to this point. Now he made some key changes. It's going to take time for that to settle, but as a lesson, that you can be great, you can be the great Jim Harbaugh, and you can be the best fit. If you don't hire well, you don't recruit well, you don't develop well on a certain side of the ball, all of a sudden you get beat by a Michigan State. You get beat by Ohio State, and they're not where those two programs are. And defensively, Don Brown, this is a great, not a good, but a great defense, potentially as good a defense there is in college football. 
But offensively, the offensive line doesn't look like Michigan. The running game doesn't look like Michigan. And we've already alluded to the quarterback situation. So it's up to Jim on that side of the ball to fix it. And I think there could be signs that they could be improved this year. But, you know, the fact that they're not just button heads with Ohio State and trying to figure out which one's better. I mean, they, those should be two heavyweights going at it. In this point, little brother, hmm. you know, and Lee Sansling is is kicking them. And that is not sitting well in, uh, in Ann Arbor. Well, I can't wait for games to start, Chris. I really am excited, not just for our podcast here, Rush the Field, but for also the games to begin and the seasons be underway and then and the college football playoff rankings coming out in several weeks. But let's just slow down. Well, I, I'm getting ahead of myself right now. If you guys want to contribute to the program, just follow us on social media. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Scott's on air. Chris is at Landry football and make sure you go to LandryFootball.com because the folks at LandryFootball.com want you to join their family this football season. You can get in on all the inside information and analysis on the college and pro game from film room breakdowns to all the latest information, recruiting, draft, coaching news, all that and more. And each Tuesday and Thursday, you catch the Landry Football Podcast. And each Wednesday, you catch this Rush the Field College Football Podcast. Both of them must listens each and every week. So check out LandryFootball.com today for their best season membership package ever. For less than a magazine subscription, you have access to the insights of veteran coach and scout Chris Landry. Just tell them where you heard this to receive the best membership package available. Chris, this week on LandryFootball.com, what do you have for subscribers? Well, you know, we certainly in week zero, we were kind of break down uh, in brevity the games of this weekend. Tell you a little bit about Hawaii, Colorado State, Wyoming, New Mexico State, a little bit Duquesne, UMass. Look, we're going to get, here's our normal process during the season for college football. We will recap the games uh, in the early part of the week. And as we get to mid latter part of the week, we're going to have the previews of all the big games. Now, being that we're not going to really have games to recap, we're going to have some of the, the previews a little bit earlier for the big extravaganza, uh, and we'll get into some of those big games right here uh, on the Rush the Field podcast of the big games for Labor Day weekend. So that's what we got going on. Uh, look, we take the, the film room breakdowns and break down the personnel, the coaching, the strategy, and give you a lot of a, a good feel for how we think the game potentially could go. So we're going to do that for all the big games. Too many to mention in the first big week, but we're going to talk in detail about a lot of the big games. And, you know, that's what's great about college football. Uh, We've got a lot of news and information in our college football notebooks every day. If you're an NFL fan, we've got that for you. But, Scott, you know, where else can you go? Only college football. When we talk about next week, the Auburn-Washington game, Michigan, Michigan, Notre Dame, we just talked about Michigan. The loser of that, I'm worried about the loser of that game. <laughs> the, I'm wor- because the loser of that game no, is right. going to be right. off to a bad start. Yes, Auburn, Washington. Yeah, I mean, does Washington have to win that game against Auburn to to likely? There's a long season. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be the the narrative is going to be if Washington can't beat Auburn, that that the Pac-12 may get shut out of the playoffs because I think that's going to hurt. Their status, they yes. play an extra game in conference. Now that I, I think that game means a lot. It it has a playoff feel to it in the early part of the season. Every week is a statement of your resume of what you are, what you are not uh, around college football. So uh, I think it's going to be fun and just can't wait to break down those games. And 
uh, some others that I think are going to really shape the, the, the flow of this uh, college football season. You know, I just realized we should have named this first podcast because you have all these kickoff games that have like, you know, the Camping World kickoff or the Chick-fil-A kickoff, the uh, the, the opening week games. We should have made like a funky name for this. Uh, even though the, uh, the, the Cheez-Its Bowl is a new bowl this year, we probably could have come up with a name <laughs> for this first episode. Well, Chris, this is fun, man. It's going to be fun all season long breaking down the college football world right here on Rush the Field, bud. Yeah, it is going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to, to recap week zero and obviously get into the big matchups next week, folks. So yeah. you want to check us out. Yep, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Rush the Field, available, of course, on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Talk to you next week. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Already people are, oh, Fitzy, this doesn't, what's wrong with Fitzy? He doesn't look good. Have you seen Jameis? Have you seen how good Jameis looks? Okay. Jameis Winston is top 20 quarterbacks in the world, correct? You can't give me 20 quarterbacks that are better than Jameis Winston in the world. You're putting Jameis Winston in in the second quarter against second-string defense and a team that's not game-planning him, if he doesn't succeed, then he's not 20 in the world. There's no reason why Jameis Winston shouldn't go in there in the second quarter and completely annihilate anything that any preseason defense can do to him. It's vanilla. There's very few blitzing. There's very few disguising. And it's vanilla. It's amazing how people want Jameis looks great. Uh, Baker Mayfield, you see how great he looks? Stop. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.